The scripture reading today is from the New Testament. We have readings from Acts and readings from John. The first will be Acts chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, and then on to verse, verses 20 to 26. And if you wish to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it, Acts will be found on page 9. 91. Acts 1, starting at verse 15. Luke's Act. Hear the word. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share of this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all, I'm sorry, I've gone too far. We stopped at 17. For those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share of the ministry. Picking up at verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let us take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness for us to his resurrection, with us, for his, to his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the, to the 11 apostles. He was added to the 11 apostles. And now to John chapter 17 verses 11b to 19, which again is found in the Pew Bibles on page 985. John chapter 17, verse 11b. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, 
and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word of the Lord. Let us bow together in prayer. Eternal God, in the quietness of these moments, we ask you to pour your Holy Spirit out upon us. Speak to us that we may hear your voice. Sanctify us that we may live the life that you call us to live in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. This is the season of the church year that generally is known as Pentecost, but in some circles it's called ordinary time. Other traditions refer to it as the season of the church. And so this morning I want to ask you to think with me about the church as we look together at the reading from the first chapter of Acts in light of the prayer of Jesus from John 17. Because these texts together give us a glimpse of the early church at work. I confess to you I love this text from Acts because in it Luke gives us a sort of an opportunity to eavesdrop, if you will, to, to peek through a window unobserved or to, to peer through a partially opened door to see a church meeting in progress. Now why would anyone want to see a church meeting in progress? But it's an interesting meeting. Uh, Peter is the moderator of the meeting, presiding over the gathering. They've had an attendance report that says there were about 120 people there. And what's happening is not a discussion of systematic theology. It's not a service of worship with inspired preaching and the singing of the great hymns of faith. It's a business meeting called to fill a vacancy, called to elect a follower of Jesus to an office of ministry. 
As to the timing of this meeting, it is occurring after Easter, after the ascension of Jesus into heaven, but before the day of Pentecost. It's at a time in which the followers of Jesus have come to realize that they cannot remain on their mountaintop experience forever. They have to come down from that season of spiritual ecstasy, plant their feet once again in the dust and dirt of the earth, and get to work. No time to sit meditating at the door of the empty tomb. No time to stare glassy-eyed into the heavens, wondering when Jesus is going to come back. The time has come to get on with the tasks that Jesus has entrusted to them in the world in his name. I think you and I know a little bit about how that feels. Because I think at one time or another, we all have had our moments of inspiration, our meaningful experiences in services throughout the church year, uplifting times of worship and celebration. And I would guess that for most of them, for most of us, those things happen around Advent and Christmas or perhaps during Lent and Easter, and certainly when our children and and grandchildren are baptized. And we always feel a little twinge of regret when we have to put away the reminders of those services and experiences and get back to business. But we know we have to get back to business. We have to return to our responsibilities. And maybe that's why we call this season of the year ordinary time. Time between the celebration of Easter and the observance of the, the, the great event of the resurrection, and then waiting for Advent and Christmas for the new church year to start all over again. And in this ordinary time, we remember that this sanctuary where you and I feel the nearness of God is itself near the grocery store, the gas station, the bank, not too terribly far from the post office. All of which remind us that while we and the church we love are not of the world, we are very, very much in the world. And it is in the world that we are called to live out the life of faith and discipleship. It is in the world that we are called to bear witness to the love and mercy of God that we have known in Jesus Christ. It is this world, with all of its messiness, that we are called to transform by the word of God so that our common life will be at least a provisional demonstration of the reality of the kingdom of God. Now sometimes we do as the apostles themselves did, we remove ourselves to an upper room. We go to a place of worship, a place of fellowship, retreat, inspiration. But no matter how often we go, the truth is that we cannot stay there forever. We cannot forget, as those early apostles could not forget, that it was through some very worldly things, a basin of water and a towel, a loaf of bread, a cup of wine, a meal with friends, that Jesus was at work transforming their lives. And we who are the church today, in the world but not of it, 
also have these very common worldly gifts of water, bread, wine, fellowship suppers, session meetings, committee work, mission trips, words of hope, deeds of kindness, deacons meetings, and I'll say session meetings again just for emphasis. And, and these ordinary things in the hands of God's people, in, in our hands, become the wings on which the power of God is carried out into the world to transform the lives of men, women, and children, and literally to transform the world itself. So I love this text. I love what it reminds us of. And I love the way Luke shows us this picture of the church getting back to business. You know, of course, that this church meeting was made necessary by the death of Judas, who had betrayed Jesus into the hands of those who would take his life. But then he could not bear the pain of what he had done, so he went out and took his own life. So now the church needs to elect a replacement. And it was Matthias, chosen by God and by the voice of the people, who was enrolled with the other 11 apostles. In the same way, you and I choose deacons and elders and even elect pastors for particular kinds of service. Now, it's, it's important to notice here that in recording this meeting, Luke makes it very clear to us that leadership in the church is especially significant because it is by their calling and ordination by the Holy Spirit that leaders give the church a vital link to the events that gave it birth. By their work and by their witness, they serve as the catalysts who help the church to fulfill its mission. They don't do all the work themselves, but they enable other believers to do that work with them. And we should not miss this point either, that in this text, church leadership is defined in terms of witness. Witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus telling how he changed their lives and how he changes other lives. It is through witness, it is through the telling of the stories of Jesus that Jesus continues to change lives in each succeeding generation. Another thing that's important to notice in this text is that what we see pictured here by Luke's words is not a glorified portrait of a perfect church. He shows us a picture of the church as it really was and is. A mix of apostleship and apostasy, of faith and faithlessness. You remember that Peter, who's presiding over this meeting, is himself guilty of having denied Jesus. I think that's a kind of reminder to us that infidelity in the life of the church may first occur among those who presume to be faithful and are called to lead. The fact is that there is no deceit, there is no betrayal of the church by its enemies. 
that we do not find first among ourselves. And that's why the scriptures tell us repeatedly that we dare not boast of our own righteousness, but that we should boast only of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For even among those who walked and talked with Jesus, there are those who stumbled. It's always that way with the church as we pursue this terribly difficult calling of being in the world, but not of it. And that's why I would say to anyone who's looking for a perfect church or a perfect pastor or a perfect denomination that you're wasting your time. You're setting yourself up for heartbreak and disappointment because there is no perfect church, perfect pastor, or perfect denomination. We are, as Ann Landers once said, a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. And so, how is the life of the church to be sustained? What is it that keeps this frail, all-too-human community alive? How can we be witnesses to the claim of Jesus Christ upon human life and history when we ourselves are in peril of betraying him? Well, first of all, we are sustained in large measure by our memory, by our memory as a community of faith. It was true for the people of Israel, both as they made their way through the wilderness and as they endured long years of exile in a foreign land. It was certainly true for the earliest Christians who struggled against the oppression of the Roman Empire. And it's still true for you and for me today. I know that many of you, maybe most of you, have been to family reunions. And and you understand that a large part of what holds a family together is the family's memory of its story. At these gatherings, at least in the gatherings of the family that I grew up in, there was always some respected member who would kind of rock back in a chair after lunch and take his glasses off and scratch his head a little bit, and then he'd start remembering. I remember back when he was just a little fella and he did thus and so and, and would perceive to weave the fabric of our family's life from the threads of all of our individual lives. Now perhaps you were like I was, I feel some embarrassment when those things start happening because there's some things you just as soon didn't get told or at least not repeated. But as we listen to these stories, we know that these are our stories, our people. This is our family. And it is the story, as much as our DNA, that binds our lives together. And the same thing is true of the church. We are held together by our memory of the stories of faith and especially the stories of Jesus Christ. As the apostles recalled and told the stories of Jesus, their experiences with him, they gave shape and form to a community of believers that became the church. And now we too have that story to remember and to tell. And it's a marvelous story that, as Barbara reminded the children earlier, it includes people we've never even met face to face. People like Abraham and Sarah and 
Moses and Esther and Ruth and, and David and that whole long list of prophets and Mary and, and Peter and Paul and, yes, even Judas. It, it includes people like St. Augustine and John Calvin and John Knox. The story has a place for all of the men and women who have been leaders and members right here at Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church. And it includes every one of us gathered here today. It is the story of us all. And it is by remembering and retelling the story, bearing witness, sharing the family history, that it becomes our story, and that new members who come into this family of faith can make it their story as well. My friends, that's why Sunday school and Bible study and occasions for fellowship are so critically important in the life of the church because those are opportunities we have to remember or, or to hear for the first time the stories of our spiritual ancestors and stories from the life of this congregation. And as those memories are interwoven with the stories of our own faith and life, we become more truly a family of faith. And we are sustained and upheld by the telling of that story. We are drawn closer to each other and made stronger in Christ through our shared memory and our common witness. Ultimately, of course, you know that we in the church are sustained by the free and gracious love of God for us in Jesus Christ. In the washing of the disciples' feet, in the breaking of bread, the pouring of wine, Jesus showed those first disciples what they and we are called to be and to do. It was through those acts of selfless love that he equipped a community of people to live in the world, not for themselves, but for him and for others. And the amazing thing is that even today, that same love has the power to overcome all of our betrayals, his spirit still calls and prepares leaders in the life of the church. And in places and ways you and I can never anticipate or imagine, he directs our stumbling feet and helps us truly to be the church, to be in the world, but not of it. Because first, last, and always, we belong to him. So we believe, so let us live. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.